This is Metal Recall, episode 16. My name is Niall Hope, and I'm joined today once again by Aaron Koskella. How are you doing, dude? Doing good, doing good. Ready for another round. For sure. We're once again delighted to be joined by my brother, Dom Hope, all the way from London. How's it going, dude? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me again. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, one of the reasons we wanted to get Dom back on the show is we are digging into an album that we've both been huge fans of for a long time now, Life of Agony's 1995 release, Ugly. Before we get into a little bit of background on that, just wanted to ask, ask you, Aaron, um, what, uh, if anything, did you know about Life of Agony before we did this album? Um, <clears throat> great question. Uh, great question for this podcast. I didn't know... I didn't know of any of their songs, to be honest. Uh, probably couldn't name one of their songs if I tried. But uh, being a, a resident of New York City for 20 years and being a fan of hardcore, New York hardcore, punk rock in general, uh, and a lot of the New York bands that um, are affiliated with them, uh, their logo is always around, the name is around. They're very much affiliated with New York City, hardcore, metal. Uh, other bands like Typo Negative, Biohazard, and uh, bands of that era. So I've always known of them uh, and their reputation and their history and almost a, a cultish loyalty uh, following of the fans. And then, of course, the, um, uh, the um, I guess, the media attention of one of the first hardcore meddlers to, to transition uh, yeah. genders, whatever, and all that. So, but that's really all. So, uh, it's really my first foray into their, their music and sound. So it's, uh, it's been a fun one. Uh, it's interesting, you know, when, um, when I've been doing a lot of research into the band, they're often, you know, a lot of people will be familiar with them because of their debut album, which was definitely more on the sort of hardcore end, mm -hmm. but actually it's it's just really interesting to sort of hear from you how you kind of perceived them to be, because I would say for the majority of their career they haven't really been a hardcore band, but you you kind right. of know them from the birth of that scene in like the early nineties. Yep. Dom, can you remember the first time that you got into them and and kind of why you were drawn to them in the first place? Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about that earlier, and I don't really think I could pinpoint how I first heard of them to be honest I remember the first um the first album I bought was the the Roadrunner best of thing that I think came out in 2003 probably just before they they um got back together for Broken Valley um first song I actually heard was Fears one of the last tracks off uh the album that we're talking about, Ugly. Mm -hmm. And I had it on, uh, I downloaded it on LimeWire or something. You know, you, I, you remember the kind of uh, Marshall Amp thing on the computer where we just had random tracks? I can't remember. Yeah. That was the day, it was the days before uh, iTunes when you just used to have like an MP3 player on your, on your machine. Yeah, or, yes. or, you, or you had that weird thing where it was like, the visual like vortex <laughs> that kind of when I when I hear stuff now I kind of can see that because yeah. that's like 
you know, when you first hear music, if you're looking at something, you're like, you're forever, you know, can think of that. They, they go together, like the imagery, but um, yeah, I can't remember how I found them, but that was the first song I, I heard. And then I bought the best of, because um, I always remember what probably weren't the first times you ever heard them now was I remember barging into your room when you were still in bed playing air guitar to uh other side of the river because <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine, mine and niall's bedrooms would be opposite each other kind mm-hmm. of from the hallway so a lot of the time i'd hold the door open blast music and and run in and go oh what do you think of this you yeah. know and kind of we would do the same for each other and play air guitar and yeah i think it was the the bridge really Metallica riff in other side of the river. Yeah. And I knew straight away Niall would love this band as well. I think I just bought that best of so. Um, but I can't remember how I heard of them. Just that was the first song that I, I knew. It's weird because I couldn't I couldn't remember fears being I, I can't remember, like, I can't remember why you downloaded it, where we heard it. Like, I can remember hearing that track and honestly, my first impressions weren't good for Life of Agony. So I think that's kind of why you ended up getting into them. And, I, and then it was only later when I think you, you, you introduced me, I think, to, um, to that best of as well. And all then of, all of the good bands, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all of those times I was lying in bed and you just come in and be like, here's a new band for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really weird because I think this is like the first, the first Oakley is the first album of life of agony that I can really remember listening to from start to finish. And it was actually the soundtrack to me for a, lad's holiday that i had in tenerife which is a really really strange um it's not the the kind of holiday the kind of setting they'd expect to be listening to life of agony but whereas all the rest of the lads were listening to dance music or some shit i had life of agony with me and i I was listening to that so it's weird it kind of takes me back to that time um and then you know dom like for for me and you i guess we kind of then just both developed like a, a real strong appreciation of the band. We went to when they reformed in 2002 or whenever we went to the cat house up in your favorite city, Aaron in Glasgow and saw, yeah. them, saw them live. And it was, um, Oh wow. It was a really good night. Um, and, and yeah, they've kind of just been, you know, it, it almost seems like they just had this sort of cult like status for the entire their entire career but they're, a, they're certainly a band that i won't normally skip any of the tracks anytime they come on spotify or whatever anyway for for those who are maybe not as familiar with life of agony I've got just a little brief synopsis on them so they're as aaron mentioned they're from where where we both live in brooklyn new york categorized as as alternative metal slash groove metal i'm sure we're going to get into you know the diverse kind of sounds on this album later. Um, They were formed in 1989 by Mina Caputo, obviously formerly Keith, bassist Alan Roberts and guitarist Joey Z, who's actually cousins with Mina Caputo. Um, 
on this particular album, they were joined by Salah Bruscato, formerly of Typo Negative. They've released six studio albums, and as I mentioned before, had sort of an on-off um, sort of career as a band, active between the between ten years between '89 and '99, releasing three albums. Uh, broke up in '97 when Mina Caputo left the band. Reunited in 2002, released Broken Valley. That was the album that me and Dom saw them on tour for. Broke up again in 2012 and reformed in 2017, releasing a further two albums, the last of which was released last year called Sound of Scars, which is um, kind of a return to form for the band. And it's kind of almost feels like a companion piece to their debut, River Runs Red. Um, We talked about sort of diverse musical styles um, and how Aaron, you'd kind of, they in your head were always a hardcore band, but they kind of talk of being influenced by bands as diverse as Radiohead, Metallica, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, among others. Um, so you can kind of see there is a bit of, you know, I think there's a bit of conflict at times within their music, like trying so many different things. Um, mm-hmm. But one, one thing that I thought was really interesting, um, Dom, and I don't know if you'd kind of been aware of this at all, but Alan Robert, who is the bass player, is actually the chief songwriter within the band, penning the majority of the music, including the lyrics, um, with Caputo only sort of writing select ballads. Um, Mm. And you probably could pick them a mile out on um, this album because they're probably the most personal and revealing ones um, about childhood and um, lack of relationships with parents. And I, I, I've wanted to read something else to you guys because um, a lot of that, I think this album is very, very emotional and, and, and raw. And it's not, it's not hard to know what, what they're singing about, what, what, what she's singing about at times. But I found a, an article, that uh, an interview that she had with Kerrang! a few years ago and um, a bit of background to some of the sort of tragedy um, she lost her mother to a heroin overdose when her mother was only 20 and, and Mina Caputo was only one. So they never met. Um, and uh, Mina's father passed away of a heroin overdose in the early 2000s as well. So losing two family members to heroin overdose is obviously something that is, is really tragic. And she said in this Kerrang! interview, um, pain was natural for me. That's all I knew. I grew up getting beat up all the time. I grew up pulling dope needles out of my dad's arm. So I think it's when you kind of understand a little bit of this background, you can kind of understand why really as a band and as songwriters, they're kind of an open book in terms of the sort of raw emotions that you hear uh, represented. Yeah. And just just one final thing to, that I thought was particularly interesting Um she would go on to describe how what the band represents. And she says, well, this band has always represented the outsider, the throwaway, the person with the most wounds. Society doesn't have room for throwaways. They set up these institutionalized ideas. And if you don't follow them, you're thrown to the side. We based our careers on the throwaways, the outsiders, the suicidal people. Here you have another collection of songs for these people who don't feel like they could ever be part of these institutions. So, you know, I think that kind of summarizes why they've retained this cult-like status if they kind of consider themselves to be outsiders anyway. And maybe is, 
you know, an indication as to why they didn't ever become bigger than they, they, they currently are. Right. So I thought that was interesting. And all of that seems to influence, I think, the way that they write their music and the content. So obviously we're here to discuss Ugly, which is their second studio album. It was released in on October 10th, 1995, making it 25 years old as of last month, and which is particularly interesting for us to do this now. Um, but before we go any deeper, um, I'm going to kick it over to you, Aaron, so you can tell us what was going on in metal in 1995. Right. Um... Well, first of all, speaking of 25 years, uh, this, was <laughs> this was my senior year of high school. So uh, we all remember your last year in high school. I was in, uh, in Seoul, Korea at the time, and I was full-on uh, metalhead without a doubt. So it was definitely a hell of a year for metal. Um, just going to the wiki page, newly formed bands. Uh, I'll just preface this. Not only was metal in my opinion, transitioning that year from, sorry, not transitioning, but it was the early, early birth and early formations of a lot of black metal. And it was probably started forming and being created earlier than that. But come 95, between 95 and 2000 was when it really kind of hit full, full bloom in my experience. So some of these newly formed bands, a lot of them were uh, European black metal, like, uh, well, sorry, American Agalok, Borknagar, uh, um, let's see here, Moon Sorrow. Um, looks like Slips, Slipknot formed in 95, apparently. That's a big one. Um, Godsmack, uh, Evanescence, uh, Disturbed, uh, Coheed and Cambria. Some of, your, um, some of your favorites in there, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as far as the newly formed bands, I think Slipknot would probably be the, the biggest. Um, but more importantly, it was an absolutely, uh, I don't know how to say it, just a magnificent year for, for albums. And forgive me if I, if I skip over some, but I'm going to blast through the big obvious ones. Alice in Chains, self-titled, At the Gates, Slaughter of the Soul. I mean, Jesus Christ. Carcass released their last album, Swan Song, which is often up for debate if it's a joke or any good at all. Um, again, some early dark me- uh, b- black metal bands, Dark Throne. Um, some Florida metal bands, Deicide, Once Upon the Cross, very controversial album um, with, with Jesus on the cross, and they had to cover it with a sheet. Uh, for the album cover. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. Um, Deftones, Adrenaline, um, another masterpiece, black metal album, Dissection, Storm of the Lights, Bane, uh, Down's debut album, NOLA, another masterpiece. Yeah. Um, going back to some some hardcore, Earth Crisis. Um, wouldn't put a stamp that it's metal, but Faith No More released King for a Day, Four for a Lifetime, another great album. Uh, Fear Factory, uh, putting their stamp on the industrial metal scene with D-Manufacture, another black metal band, Immortal, uh, Catatonia, um, another album that 
I just cannot ever seem to put down is Malevolent Creations Eternal, uh, Mashuga, another, you know, ele- not electronic, but like technical, uh, mathematical, Mashuga, Destroy, Erase, Improve, uh, more black metal, Moonspell, Mortician, out of New York, um, more, um, more Mike Patton, Mr. Bungle, uh, side project, Disco Volante. Um, Chris Barnes from um, Cannibal Corpse, founding member, finally moving on to create his solo project, Six Feet Under, uh, first album, Haunted, uh, Strapping Young Lad, heavy as, as a really heavy thing, uh, another classic metal band, Suffocation, Pierce from Within, and then another one that walks the line is uh, White Zombie, released Astro Creep 2000. So all of these albums are just really well-known and still still hold up today so they're all just it's amazing this 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 many this much work came out of that year alone yeah some some big ones there two that i think you might have skipped over forgive me if i've misheard but um slaughter of the soul by at the gates yep second one um masterpiece and uh symbolic by death was released this year as well so yep yep some yeah, some some monsters there. I think the one that sort of really stands out to me is uh, Nola by Down. Oh my god! I couldn't put that one down. Nope. But for want of a better word, yeah, when, yeah. When I got that, so good, so good. Hell of a year for sure. Yep. And then I guess just bandments, suicidal tendencies, and um, living color. And pungent stench, but I've yeah, got pungent. no, I've got yeah. no idea who they are. So yeah, neither do I. But yeah, what a year! All right, before we get into um, reviews and sort of discussing the album um, in more detail, I thought we probably should pivot and let's have a, a have a look at the album artwork. Mm. Um, cast a few judgment calls on this guy so um as as me and me and you aaron have a a a strong sort of bias within this kind of field i'm interested to get dom's take first on the relative successes or failures of this of this album art yeah and maybe maybe a little bit of how you interpret it dom because uh you know it's not 100% clear exactly what's, what the sort of narrative is within this piece. Well, I don't know. I mean, like you say, I think you guys are clearly the, the experts, but I disagree. I think given the whole backstory, what you, know, that you said about what Life of Agony stands for and what, what uh, you know, the background of the singer, I think the, the album covers really obvious yep i think it's really obvious what it means whether it's any good or not the (laughs) um the you know what the idea behind it is really obvious and i think given you know it's 95 it's kind of like movies as well you know you can get like outdated album covers it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad like personally i actually like this album cover yeah it's 
it doesn't have the Life of Agony um, logo on it, which River Runs Red has, which is, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it needs it, but having the logo on River Runs Red is definitely a more iconic um, yeah. cover. But I think if once you've heard this album, I think that album cover goes perfectly with it. Yeah. Um, and like we say, the album's called Ugly. As a kid in a chair getting pressured off kids or feeling bullied or he's got a mask on, he's insecure, like everything in there is, is really obvious. It, it's not like it doesn't go with the, um, the album title or the name of the, the name of the band, like everything I think works perfectly. It's very different to all their other album covers. It's, it's the only album cover with a, um, without like a design on it. Yeah. All the others are designed. This is just a, an image, a, um, a scenario or, or what have you. But I mean, besides a young um, Neil Morrissey from uh, Men Behaving Badly at, at the bottom there, <laughs> um, it's, that's a, a, what's a, that's a niche that's shout. A very but, niche shout. I, I like it. And like I say, I think once you've heard the album, before we get into the the influences and the, the vibe of, of the album, I think it the album cover kind of goes goes pretty nicely. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's um it's relevancy to to what they sing about on the album is is spot on. You know, it's I, I kind of interpreted as these are sort of kids having regular childhoods and and the the central character here in the chair with the 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 mask on his face is um can't join in so there's kind of it it kind of does speak to that um outcast kind of mentality that um i read from that interview so i definitely agree that um conceptually this is really strong for sure Aaron, what's what are you do? You, are you sort of in agreement with that, or you have slightly uh, different yeah. opinions? Yeah, I think it's 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 got all the archetypical uh, things going on. You got the girls in their dresses and their pretty bows. You got the 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 we're all clowns on puppet strings. You got the boy, the the war the wartime being the masculine guy with the wartime airplane. Everyone's glared at the television, kind of spaced out, and then um, our our hero there in the middle is just kind of confused and lost and not really participating and wearing a mask uh, to kind of hide behind. So yeah, it's, it's, it's nailing all the themes in the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so conceptually it's, it's very strong. And, you know, Dom, you said that it's obviously lacking that the sort of iconic factor of the logo and a bit more of that stuff from river runs red. Um, but I agree with you that I don't think, I mean, you just, it would be such at odds to the the photography style that I don't yeah. think the two could kind of coexist. So I'm not in love with the typography, but it's, um, yeah. it is what it is. I think it's all about. You, the, mean, you mean the typography of ugly and of, and of <laughs> life of agony, to be honest. Copper, copper plate. 
Yeah, yeah. but the thing is, the, the typography of Life of Agony is basically on all of the albums. Like that, if whether that's a really plain font, that's kind of always been how they write Life of Agony. Oh, if that's the case, then um, that's that's fair enough. It uh... like I can't I can't remember the you know the the logo might be in the booklet or somewhere else on the album, which in that case is you know I think it's always nice to um, continue that um, like consistency. Yeah, interesting. Um, uh, do you guys, Aaron? Do you want to give this one a mark out of ten? Yeah, um, yeah, geez. Uh, I think for the sake of, um, for nailing it, the concept uh, and the execution, I'm going to give it a, uh, an eight. Nice. Dom? Um, I'd probably, I don't know, a seven. Yeah, I think I'm going to fall on the side of a seven as well. I think definitely the, uh, Everything that you pointed out straight away at the start, Dom, I think just uh, the overall communication of the concept, I think, is what's particularly strong. The composition's really, really nice, and the contrast of the sort of deep blacks in the background and sort of putting the focus on the the characters in the piece, I think, is is really strong. So, one I guess eight, they, two seven. I guess they could have. I guess my only critique is they could have somehow incorporated the brand. The, uh, we're saying it, it wouldn't fit with a photography style, but I'm, I'm, I'm the designer in me thinks there's a way they could have done it. Yeah, I agree. To, I think to, that's to bring the brand in somehow. I don't know how, but I think that's the, the thing that just pulls it down just a touch for me too. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into our thoughts, I thought it would be interesting as we normally do just to, take a little look through some reviews that I found, what people were saying about the album both then and now. Um, overall, the uh, kind of the enduring sort of legacy it seems to be of this album is that it's a often overlooked and underrated classic. Um, quite divisive because it came on the back of their sort of rip-roaring, more hardcore-inspired debut. Um, and, and obviously went off in a slightly different tangent. Um, but most reviews I read were in, in sort of very effusive in their praise of, um, of, of the album, the songs in general. Um, I had got one from Sputnik Music, which gives it a 4.5 out of 5. And the review summary, they say one of the most overlooked albums of the 90s, alternative metal scene. Even though Ugly is a drastic departure, it stands as near flawless when accepted as a step of progression. It goes on to say that, you know, Life of Agony will most often be remembered for their rollicking debut, but Ugly remains kind of their more, so more, uh, again, they say sort of near flawless despite the stylistic change. Um, and I, I read something on uh, Metal Sucks as well, which they did this, they did this feature called Album of the Day, which is kind of, for revisiting um, overlooked albums, which is kind of similar to something that we tend to do, Aaron, on a regular basis, is kind of try and find albums that maybe both of us, one of us hasn't heard of and kind of go down yeah. that rabbit hole as opposed yeah, to going through the classics. Yeah, that's the point. 
But they make a really good point on this article um, in which they say that, and this kind of speaks to the the change in direction for the band. Um, It says, ultimately what makes music heavy isn't the superficial stuff like how hard they choke or how fast the double bass is. It's when the music makes you feel something. And even though ugly isn't as isn't a chuggy and as moshy as River Runs Red, there are very, very few albums where the genuine sadness, pain, and sense of feeling lost and adrift comes through more than it does on this one. It goes on to say that it's in the same league as Alice in Chains' Dirt for that kind of emotional content. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, real quick while we're, while we're on the subject of, of the, it's the second album, right? Yep. Were you guys fans of the the first one, or did Dom did Dom come busting in your room with this one? And it was what you is was this when you discovered Life of Agony? Dom, you take that one first. The um the the first record I had was the best of. So got it. It was it was um bef- like uh, I think it came out after they'd broken up. So there was. Okay. All of the all of the hits off the first three albums, really. Okay. Um, but yeah. Okay. I mean, personally, um, I, I like I like River I like River Runs Red, um, but you know, before I mean a bit of a spoiler alert in terms of our own feelings towards this album, but this is my favorite Life of Agony album. Definitely. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. It's not a spoiler because I mean it's the whole point. It's the reason we're reviewing this album. I just was curious what your guys' journey was with the band, that's all. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's, it's quite interesting because, you know, looking back now, it's kind of hard to, to think about what this slight, this change in direction that they right. did on this, what it kind of represented at the time. Because, like I said, six albums and only one of them could really be classified as hardcore, I think. So it's, totally. you know, the legacy of the band is not as a hard, even though that's still the album that they are, most famous for which is is strange the um, thing the thing about that though is um they they formed in the late 80s uh-huh. so although river runs red came out in um i don't know 93 or something 93 yeah they they they'd been a band so they had demos and stuff i think river runs red is the first studio album but they had stuff out there yeah yeah Um, great point great point but the interesting thing is obviously you know they were before our time to be listening to be into them in the 90s um or for me anyway and 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 for niall don't about you aaron um no sure no i understand i was just i'm just curious no i mean obviously you weren't a fan of them but i'm you know in the 90s you were into metal life of agony you know those albums we i got into them late but um the interesting part of it is that i got into them the first thing i bought was the best of Mm -hmm. so obviously every album life of agony did or at least the first three albums the um the change i wouldn't say the change in direction because they just become mellower with each mm. album they don't change genre right but you get all of that on the best of so i never experienced 
yeah one album to the next so i never experienced that kind of which is i'm sure fans at the time yeah when you purchased oakley or then you got soul searching sun they were kind of like blow you know kind of what the hell because yeah, yeah so i never had that whereas obviously i was aware of that because it's strange we're the best of the way they format them is really first four songs are off the first album then the next four so the more the best of goes on the softer they become so i was always aware that there is you, you got you got to approach them from the the, the totality of their albums yeah yeah. Okay, that's all. I, that's all I was curious about. That's cool. I, th- I think you made a really good point there, Dom. Like the time between them forming in the late '80s to them releasing "River Runs Red," that's obviously four years of building up like credibility as a hardcore act in the scene on the in the underground. So, as much as I'm saying, well, they only had one album as a hardcore band. Their first ten years as a band four of them at least were as a hardcore band. So they definitely, like I reckon to fans of the band at the time, the, the change must have been quite startling. Um, but what I think what I will say, again, kind of getting into my sort of own feelings about the band is the, the thing that I think stands them apart from most other bands of a similar ilk is... Um, is is the performances and the the uh, the vocal delivery of of the lead singer Mina Caputo, mm-hmm. um, and I think all of the change in direction ended up benefact ended up supporting that one particular aspect of the band. And I don't think if they'd stayed with the style that they were going for, going with the hardcore style, they would have really maximized the potential for that aspect of the band so i mean that's kind of my personal opinion don't know if dom if if that kind of makes sense to you or you kind of disagree uh no i think yeah that's i think everyone could see that really um i think it's easy to say from an outside point of view and i can't think of another band as as um kind of obvious as this band but i think it would be easy to say that um, the change in direction, you know, with each album is down to the singer because that that's why they're so unique and that's why they're, they're so different is that, um, you know, by the time they hit Soul Search and Sun, the music, the instrumental is it's more of like that is just like uh an alternative rock album yeah in the vein of um you know your alice in chains or whatever you hear that there's nothing that's kind of like whoa really crossover or anything whereas soul uh river runs red is um is about as crossover as you can get with the vocals and the instrumental because um like you said at the beginning they they're your your standard um brooklyn hardcore that was the scene they were in but clearly from the beginning the the singer was the singer was different and i think it's easy from an outsider point of view to to say that they wanted to be metal but 
you know, the vocals didn't want to, so obviously they changed. Um, but again, like uh, that's the loads of these loads of these bands that I'm sure you're you're covering. Ha, you know, you're covering because they're they're unique and they have elements that not other people have, and a lot of the time they're not that big bands because of that. Yeah. And Life of Agony are no exception. I mean, when, you know, what you said at the beginning of the show, what they stand for, I mean, Life of Agony are extreme because, because of the story with the, the singer. Yeah. But the overall vibe of the band is, is you're, you're summed up hardcore. Like that is what hardcore is all about. The, yeah. the underground, the outsider feeling coming to a show and you know that's your family and i mean river runs red was that down to a t it was it was um fit perfectly with hardcore but the voc the vocals change with each album as do the instrumentals as well so yeah no i made you made some real good points there um in terms of how the band perceived and you know why the sort of the change from from album to album kind of exists without further ado let's let's kind of get into into the album and how we sort of um all all sort of viewed it and i I guess i'm quite interested just to kick this off aaron um knowing what you what you kind of in your mind thought the band represented yep when you started listening to this album, was it against your expectations? Did what? What did? What was your sort of first impressions <laughs> upon? upon it's a great. It's a great question because uh, I, I, I got. I got a. I think I got a good answer because almost immediately, almost immediately within the first song or two or three, I immediately had this aha moment. I was like, okay, this is why. This is why we're reviewing. This is the Hope Brothers quintessential album because <laughs> I got my notes right here. I was hearing everything you guys are into, especially you, Nile. I mean, you know, you and I obviously live in the same town, so we can discuss metal and influences, what we're into. But I know, I know your brother's turned you on to certain bands. You've turned him on to bands. But my, my answer is, is is really this. This this to me. Uh, just resonated with everything you and your brother are into because I was hearing everything from Danzig style vocals, Black Sabbath. I definitely hear Black Label Society in there. I don't know if you guys hear it. Um, obviously, being from New York, there's some typo negative, like gothic, darker uh, sounds. Uh, it again, it obviously encapsulates some New York hardcore with with certain cadences. Uh, mm-hmm. Harkening back to the hardcore, um, but then as lovers of grunge and Alice in Chains, holy crap! This is definitely there's some like very melodic, overdramatic, grungy bits with some like some vocal strain. Um, as far as vocal and instrumental range, it's it's the whole album sounds like they're just searching and they're almost confused, but fractured, scattered sound. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but 
I can see how certain people would gravitate towards that because the album's all over the place. And, yeah. and it really, like I said, very early in the album, I was like, okay, I can definitely see why Niall and his brother like this album. This is, this is, this is screaming all elements that you guys talk about regarding other bands and, and just the genre in general. And it was all coming through immediately. That's really, that's really interesting. And you've, you picked Is that the on, answer you wanted? <laughs> uh, it's a great answer. It's a great answer. And I, I can't, I can't disagree with anything you said. Like the, and I think one of the things that I've got in my notes as well, um, as a, it's not necessarily a critique. It's not, a, not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's, it's all part and parcel of the listening experience, but this album is quite disjointed and fractured at times because of those different ideals. Um, it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I mentioned that, that Alan Roberts, who's the bass player, um, he writes the majority of the songs, um, the majority of the, the sort of instrumentation and the lyrics, but then there's three tracks on the album, I believe, um, that are are penned by um, Mina Caputo, um, including, so uh, those songs are Seasons, which is the first track. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably two that you wouldn't be surprised, I'd tell you that uh, Mina Caputo wrote both lyrics and musician, uh, the sort of instrumentation for Let's Pretend and How It Would Be, um, which are the yeah. sort of two tracks that are sort of penned for um for the mother that she never knew but i think almost like those two those two almost then kind of trade who can write the most depressing song (laughs) on the (laughs) album because they're both they're both delivering like you know all of the i think ugly is a great title for the content that they're singing about it is a collection of songs that is about just the most dark depressing stuff that you can you can listen to but you know to to your point i think it does sometimes there are sort of very quick jarring changes between music style from being really heavy to being almost like grungy poppy like it it does kind of go all over the place so it it does it does make um quite an interesting and i think you know don mentioned this like they just get mellower and mellower and this as the albums go on and then kind of pick it back up a bit but you know maybe this is the album where everything just started to was in the pot and they were just mixing it up yeah and that's all i meant by that is they they, literally just that that they they were throwing all kinds of things into the recipe that i know you guys like dom does does that kind of a um assessment of the album does that that kind of ring true to you no rubbish assessment Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I, for someone that's never heard them before, uh, I, I would, I would, as much as Adam is, uh, Aaron is a, you know, seasoned metaler. You love loads of stuff. I wouldn't have batted an eyelid if the response was like, "Ooh," because, you know, for a metal band, I think maybe for your average metalist or whatever, it will be the vocals that is the, the trying part of it. You either 
you either love it or you hate it. And um, you know, that's the that's the reason why they're so unique, really. Um, but I think um, I, I this is my favorite album as well by them. The same as you, Nile. I think because um, I mean, like we said before, River Runs Red is is uh i class that as your kind of typical that's like it's got a very underground 90s brooklyn hardcore sound oh, yeah. and then soul searching sun um is your it's got a very feels like mina is more influenced because it's it's like quite a hippie-ish yeah um it's it's got that grunge element but it's uh and then Broken Valley, I think, is a bit more of Soul Search and Sun. And then I think the two recent albums they've put out that I haven't followed as much are um, maybe back to the back to the more of the original sound. But I love Ugly so much because to me, I mean, Aaron saying Danzig. I, I mean, when I listen to, it, I've never, I've never really been a fan of Danzig, but I have Misfits, so I had that comparison that i think there's some woes and o's in there yeah it's instrumentally it's it's basically hardcore and grunge you know like aaron said i think joey z the guitarist like he still comes through on this album with the riffs there's a good um there's a good hardcore kind of vibe to it but then I think as well, like you're saying, 95, what was going around that time, there's a big grunge influence on the riffs. Um, I think it, uh, it's funny as well, you saying this, I had to put in this because it, it made me laugh. I was playing this album a couple of weeks ago when I think we were going to do this. And um, Sophie, Sophie said, it sounds like Cher. Whoa, <laughs> and whoa. Actually, 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 I was like, can't even disagree with that because the, the vocals are very, you know, like operatic or kind of, I don't know many other albums besides your kind of typo negative, typo negative, which like mm -hmm. makes sense that they're Drummer. You know, related in a way. Yeah. Having that kind of, it, 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 it makes sense that they cover um, Tears for Fears. Cause that is the kind of vibe I get that nineties, like it's metal. But it's yeah. almost got like a new romantics. There's there, there's not another album like it, and it, you know maybe it's like Marmite. You, if you're a metalhead, you'll either love this album or you'll hate it. Yeah, I mean, without without getting into the any any well, can't help but critique a little bit. But just real quick on going back to my original comment, what they're throwing in this album, when I said they're throwing all the all these elements in an album that I thought you guys would like, I, I didn't, I wasn't attaching any critique to that whatsoever. Whether or not that all works, we can get to that towards the end. What what I will say regarding the vocal styles going from. Uh, you know, deep, mean, 
chunky, hardcore, masculine lyrics to 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 higher vocals. Uh, I will say this: I one of my first things that kind of made me go like, "Oh, whoa!" was I'm not sure. I, and I, I respect any artist for pushing the envelope. I don't know if, if if Mina had any business going on some of these higher parts. In other words, I can. I said this earlier. I can hear the strain. I don't know if 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 she was able to hit those high parts. Oh, interesting. In, in certain parts, and and me and and sometimes that's on on point. Sometimes that's the the point. You want to feel the the vocal strain. You want to feel the mm. pain. It's part of the emotion that's attached to it. Yeah. Um. But but just just to put a bow on 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 what I would would sum up is what I think what you're what we're all saying. But from my perspective is as you said, being a little more seasoned and, and then just being older at that time. And again, now you've heard me talk about this context is very important. It, it was at the height of grunge. Yeah. I mean, Kurt Cobain committed suicide in, in what, 94. So I think for me, this was, other bands were doing it in different ways, but I think after listening to this album, Life of Agony was like, we're going to sprinkle so much grunge and alternative into this album more than any other hardcore band that I've ever heard. And so you can hear the, the, the hardcore New York hardcore elements, but this album is just, they let the floodgates open with inviting not just grunge, but almost alternative sounding yeah. uh, musical elements. Yeah. I mean, like some songs don't even, some songs aren't even metal. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, yeah 100%, I would agree. Hundred percent. Um, I mean, like you said before, let's pretend and how it would be. Yeah, they're not. They're not metal. They're ballads. Um, yeah. I would go as far I, as to say it's share, but go Sophie. Well, actually, <laughs> well, actually I think I think she probably. When I think about it, I would have been listening to how how it would be, and I can. If you've if you've not heard anything else by them and you come in and that song's playing, and um, besides the you know slightly distorted guitars, you wouldn't know that they're a metal band. A lot of the time, you get these these singers of very kind of cult niche bands that um, you know they're never going to be mainstream because they have different elements and you know like like again with typo negative there's not another band with a metal band with a singer like him nope. life of agony were no different so it's it's all, all the same you either love it or hate it and yeah when i first listened to them i was like whoa you know the vocals and i especially i think at that age you know if you've got a sibling who loves metal as well you're kind of like oh yeah, is he gonna rip me on this, or you know, will, <laughs> will they? Will they? Yeah, will they like it or whatever? But like, uh, the instrumentals are good, yeah. But she's what uh, makes it really. Yeah, yeah. I just wanna, I just wanna touch on what you were saying, Sophie said, and and you also mentioned something that like really resonates with me, is um, you mentioned new romantic, and I almost feel like at times Mina. Um, sings like the lead singer out of like an 80s synth pop kind yeah. of group. Yeah. And actually, you know, it makes so much sense for them to have covered Tears for Fears because it's the exact kind of 
vocal style of vocal performance. I think it, it's almost, I think it, Dom, it might've been you that mentioned it kind of almost this operatic, like, especially on like the bridge within that song. Um, well, I, I honestly, I know it's, I, I know when you first hear it, it would make you laugh, but I think the, the style of vocal, the share comparison isn't so outrageous because it's, it's high pitch, but it's quite a, um, it's a very smooth voice. And there's a reason why they cover Tears for Fears. Wait, it's obvious oh. <laughs> that that is what's influencing the whole, the whole album. We're going to have to re-record a few pieces because Aaron's just reminded us that it's, it's simple minds, not tears for fears. Okay. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a child of the 80s. I'm a child of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you could have said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> We've only said it about 30 times. It's all good. It's all good. We all know what yeah. we're talking about. Um, yeah, it is. Scottish <laughs> as well. Dom, you, you, you brought something to my mind there, which I wanted to bring up with you guys is um, there is, I, I think there's like tension running throughout this album in terms of mm-hmm. stylistic choices, clashing with other stylistic choices. The two chief songwriters write in about the most depressing stuff as they possibly can. But one thing that I, I don't know if you guys agree, would agree with me here, um, and maybe you would, Dom, based on what you just said, what you were just getting on to saying there is, I think sometimes the mu- the music feels almost uplifting and upbeat. But And if you weren't listening to the lyrics with any sort of, you weren't really paying attention, I think at times you'd think the album was quite positive. And like, I, I'll, I'll sort of say, you know, how it would be is... Um, and let's pretend they're almost kind of like good, good, um, good judges of that. Because the music and the way it's sung kind of almost feels quite uplifting. But actually, they're singing about really depressing stuff of, you know, suicides and like, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, I do kind of think there is a bit of that juxtaposition that happens in the album that's quite interesting. Yeah, but I think to put it into context, it's, it's a lot less dark and a lot less depressing than River Runs Red. That's very true. River, I mean, forgetting about the little interludes in River Runs Red, which alone are, you know, not musical, but the whole concept of the album is like about as about depressing and, and dark as you can get. Yeah, like songs like How It Would Be, instrumentally are very happy sounding. It's which I think is uh, the kind of, I'm not sure if there's synth on the album or if it's just um, only on the, don't forget about me. Yeah. Only on the cover. But um, I think, you know, it's, it's a sign of how good that cover is that I think if you hadn't heard it before, you would have thought it was them because it, it, fits in with all the other songs on the album perfectly. Yeah, agreed. So let's just 
let's just talk quickly about let's pretend and how it would be because to me those tracks go hand in hand really they're the two two tracks on the album that i think really stand out in terms of they musically they are quite a bit different to the rest Mm -hmm. of the album they're also linked because of the the lyrical content you know both seemingly um penned by mina caputo about um not having known her mother you know there's there's uh there's lyrics in let's pretend um which you know would i presume they probably have to be uh reworded for performances these days um but mummy it's me it's keith being one of the standout lyrics there um and and just you know the 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 sort of really depressing angle of pretending that you knew your mum and then in how it would be imagining what it would be like if she was still alive so those two go hand in hand um and i'm really interested to i'm really interested to know how you guys sort of view those songs because i think they're the kind of marmite part of this album to a certain degree you're either on board with it or you're kind of like i'm not sure about this one aaron i'll I'll kick it over to you on that one yeah um i'm 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 of the marmite vein i um i i got my notes here for for all the songs and when i when i get to let's pretend that's definitely more grungy sounding the metal, uh, all, all the abandonment issues, the bad parents, uh, how it would be. Uh, my notes, I thought it got a little more poppy sounding. And then I got notes that it's, it's very much uh, a therapy session, which I think music is therapy. I mean, it's, we talk about this all the time. It's, it's catharsis, you know, it's better than shooting heroin or, or murdering your neighbor. Uh, you know, metal's an outlet music music is a catharsis it's an outlet but some of that was just so on the nose and maybe it's because it's now 2020 and i'm going back and looking at this and then look i'm looking at i'm looking at the album on one hand and then i'm looking at mina and putting it all in a pot i'm like it's for me it's a little on the nose it's definitely if anything it's uncanny how much foreshadowing these songs uh reveal uh and it's i'm not gonna say that i don't like it i'm just gonna say it's i'm not sure how i feel about it it's just not it's not my jam it's not my cup of tea i i think it's awesome that it's 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 pretty much an open book it's pushing like i said it's almost right on the fucking nose after everything that's been said and done in 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 her life so in that sense uh i can see how powerful these songs are uh, especially for her, but for me, I had a hard, I, what I struggled with as I listened to it. And I, I, I consciously did this as I listened to it. I wondered how you guys interpreted this in 95 or whatever year you heard it without knowing what we know now, like how to, how would a hardcore kid or someone from, you know, Durham, Newcastle interpret these songs? Uh, and, and cause I don't know how I feel about them because I'm not, you know, We've all got our own outsider stories, but this is clearly, uh, as 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 Dom said, it's hardcore. It's extreme. It's really fucking. It's 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 blood and tears right there. 
Yeah. Dom, how do you how do you take these songs? Um well I don't think you have to be able to relate to that's true. Some, something to enjoy it. That's true. Um yeah. at the at the end of the day, I think for me personally, like you said earlier, about being um being moved by something, I I um you know most of the time even if it's a metal band i um you know i i love them if if they move me in a way and there's so much metal and so much music out there that has no message regardless of positive or negative or whatever and that's why for for how cult and niche they are that's why life of agony fans love them is you know songs like how it would be and and whether the band themselves love playing these songs is is another thing i don't know mm, these okay. are the songs that the the fans sing every word to live they like like me i i love them and um like like anything you watch a film i'm yeah. more invested if the story is more you know i can't relate to it you get you get lost in a world nothing like yours like the the backstory to the band the family of life of agony nice. is you know like you were saying before i mean alice in chains anyone that knows anything about alice in chains knows that one of the overall um kind of concepts through their music is drug abuse mm -hmm. and um you know life of agony i mean the name itself suggests what they're all about or what the the um concept of of the songs are all about and i don't know i think i think if a band just has generic lyrics that aren't like you know the band themselves the singers gone through nothing uh you know gone through no struggle or whatever you know a lot of the time like any artist or whatever that goes through stuff like that makes great music because of it you know nirvana yeah. was clearly a big one it took some getting used to but i really? never sh i never shied away from um what the songs were all about they never put me off because i think the tragedy and and that makes i think it makes metal better than just being you know talking about how i think that is obviously what probably put their their original hardcore fans off them mm. which happens a lot with 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 bands but i think that's what put um kind of set them aside from other hardcore bands um and i mean like I just think I mean some some of the some of the lyrics can go a little bit too obvious, you know, with the kind of dark nature. I just want to touch on something that you you brought up there, Dom, with um with both Let's Pretend and how it would be and and essentially kind of what those songs mean to can't say that we know all Life of Agony fans, but judging by certain live shows that we've seen, 
um, and how we both interpret it. I think it's those those tracks or tracks like that are very much part of the fabric of of this band. The the story, the the personal tragedy. It's it's very much it kind of paints who this band is. So songs for like let's Pre- let's pretend and how it would be. To me, they almost get a pass for 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 the for the music on show or whether you kind of like it or you don't like it. They are two of the tracks that you mentioned this as well, Dom, two of the tracks that I could kind of sing all of the lyrics to without even thinking of, like they just kind of get in your head. So it's, it's, um, it's weird, but those, those kind of songs are very much like they're part of the life of agony story. Um, so they almost kind of avoid any kind of critique in my eyes, but I think it's really interesting that you kind of, what you were saying about them kind of summed up my my feelings towards them as well. Yeah, maybe they're not the most musically interesting songs on the album. They definitely veer off into sort of pop and grunge territories, but they're very memorable. And almost the way that they're written in such transparent ways does tell that story. Um, so for me personally, I fully, em- I fully embrace them. And, and I think that... That vulnerability, completely on show. I've, you know, just got a lot of time for anybody that puts themselves out like that. But sometimes I love to pretend that she knows me, that she holds me. But sometimes I love to pretend that she knows me. Um, so. Just overall, like any, um, Dom, uh, we'll come to you just quickly on this. Some some sort of highlights overall about the album. Some of the the, the things that you enjoyed the most. Uh, you, you get you get bands that kind of have different styles of songs, and and like Life of Agony are no different. With they have their heavy tracks, and then they have their ballads, and. Um, and some some bands you like more for certain things they do. Life of Agony, I, I I actually think yeah they've they're a good heavy band. They've got good riffs and all that. But I like I probably like them more for the songs that are more unique to them, not their heavier tracks. Yeah. And I I wouldn't say oh if you're a real Life of Agony fan you're like that because you know, there's a million metal bands to listen to. If you want to listen to metal, you're not necessarily going to put on Life of Agony for that. Yeah, true. Um, so yeah, I, I, I found that statement interesting. That I think that kind of sums it up. It's such, it's such, it's so unique. Say that again. You said you wouldn't, as a metal fan, you don't throw on Life of Agony for the sake of listening to metal. You throw it on for listening to Life of Agony. Is that what you mean by that? Well, I think if you want to listen to heavy music, no, I understand. There's there's um, there's bands to put on that are you know just perhaps. kind of heavy music. Right. I think Life of Agony have a lot to their sound, like we've already discussed. There's there's heavier tracks, and then there's kind of ballads. I think the the ballad element, which kind of um, highlights more the unique vocals 
all, all the kind of um, a little bit of the Marmite thing you were talking about. But I think if, if that's what you're into and you like Life of Agony, I think they're probably your favorite tracks. Like I think how it would be. And let's pretend when I put this album on, are probably my favorite tracks. Um, I guess what I mean. I guess what I mean to clarify is, with with that statement you made, does that mean as a Life of Agony fan, you still have to be in a certain mood to put it on, or is it because you like them? You obviously like the ballads more than the, the heavy stuff, but does that mean does that affect how often you throw them on? Do you know what I'm saying? Does it require a specific mood? Because I have bands like that that I know not everyone's into, and I'm not even necessarily into them all the time, but I'm in a particular mood, and I'm like, it's time to put on this. I don't know what it is, but there's something that happens, or there's just I get in a mood, or something clicks, and I'm like, I haven't heard, heard this in a while. I'm in the right setting and the right mood. It's time to put on this fucking album. That's a good question. Really? Yeah. Uh, like, personally, I don't feel that way. I, I think... I could be in any mood and I could listen to anything I laugh about o- over and over again. But Got I it. think there are, there are bands, you know, um, I guess there are bands like Radiohead and people that are re- that's really right. like deep, in- deep music that, you know, other people might not want to put on all right. the time because they're quite, and Life of Agony is no exception, you know, lyrically it's dark music you might not want to listen to it all the time but um i just mean i think you have um you have bands like uh you know even even alice and chains i know we've it's hard to compare life of agony to any other band so i'm just gonna say alice and chains for the sake of this point alice and chains i think some of their biggest songs are their ballads you know, people um, uh, yeah, like N- Nutshell, Wood, Rooster. Um, Rooster. These are the songs that the diehards, you know, they know every word, the ballads. They sing, you know, even Linkin Park in the end, you know, yeah. you can get hard rock bands that have, you know, heavier songs and then they have ballads. And I think probably the accessibility the kind of commercial value of the ballad is why it's a big song but um yeah, one one yeah it's a good theory I, I don't think river runs red had any ballads is a very um heavy kind of hardcore album even though the the um the the same topics are there in the in the vocals i think um I mean, either way, I think some of my favorites are, if, if I was to probably pick my favorite ever Life of Agony song that I think had every, every part of their sound in, mm. it would um, possibly, I mean, this is so hard, but maybe Other Side of the River, mm-hmm. because it's got the riffs, it's got the kind of sing-along chorus, it's kind of got a bit of, everything every album whereas how it would be is the complete other end of the spectrum um you know what's the other one damned if i do it's not one of their best songs but that is a pretty perfect oh it's my number one <laughs> yeah it's really? a pretty 
perfect rock song because it's got great riffs. It's got yeah. a cool chorus. Dude, that's my notes. Fantastic groove a la Black Label Society. It's the heaviest yeah. track on the album and that grooves like Zach Wilde. Yeah. But like I was, I was saying before, again, in that same vein, like Unstable, the, the riff on the chorus, that is, that is heavy. Um, and I, I love the heavy, like heavy things he's talking about that go in hand with the heavy music. Like that is a, that is a journey, that song. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting as well because that's a, a track that's penned by Alan Robert, Unstable, that is. In fact, all three of the ones that you just mentioned, they're all sort of... And obviously, Mina Caputo's delivery is, like, excellent, you know? Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I do quite like... You know, Aaron, we we almost talk about this every time we do this, but, like... Some albums you listen to, they're written in quite ambiguous, cool sounding. Like, do you think this is about this or is it about right. this? Like, there's no, there's nothing left no. to chance with this one. There's, it's not to be interpreted anyway. This is unstable. The track you're talking about, Dom, which is one of my favorites on the album, is 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 talking about somebody, somebody's. Um, it must be Alan Roberts' mother, girlfriend, partner who knows for sister discovering cancer. discovering that they have cancer and um the way that it's told is it is like in a very linear fashion about being in being in the waiting room while somebody's in the other room in the doctor's office getting the, the diagnosis and the chorus riff is is brilliant the delivery um that that dynamic between those two elements is great, and uh, you know, it's got a like the delivery of the 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 lyrics. I think on the on the bridge when um, when Mina says, uh, "Let me just pull it up." And all I really want to know is if she's gonna be all right because she's been in there a long, long time, and I've been out here losing my mind. And and when that sort of that then kicks into the main riff again. Just the dynamic of how the kind of softer verse hits the the heavy chorus is um, is one of my real high points. Just quickly, Dom, on the other two that you, uh, you you pulled out there, and I'll kick it over to Aaron for for damned if I do. But I think you quite accurately said, like, if you wanted to, you know, me and you both agree that this is our favorite Life of Agony album. It's probably for the songs, but also the style. And and you, you, I think you quite accurately said that if you had to tell somebody. This is what life of agony is like. Other side of the river, in particular, is 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 a great kind of consolidation of all their different styles and everything that the band does well. From it's got that 
um, bridge riff that feels like it could have been on River Runs Red that's just very hardcore and it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's got um, melodies of the sort of stylistic choices in there. So I think that's um, I think that's a really accurate observation of, of, of um, those moments. And, and Aaron, I just wanted to throw it over to you because I realized we haven't really we haven't really got a sense of whether you liked this album or not. Because <laughs> <laughs> me and Dom have just been talking about how much we love it. So, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, but yeah, I'd just like to know get, from you. I got my, uh, well, damned if I've I do. A sense. <laughs> listen, listen, come on, guys. Damned if, I, <laughs> damned if I do is my favorite track. Uh, I got my notes. It's got a fantastic groove, very Black Label Society. I think it's their heaviest track. It's very catchy, it's anthemic. Uh, there's multiple times on this album talking about midlife crisis at 22. Who knew? I need some answers across the street. Like I, that's that's always going to be a winner uh, in any hardcore or metal album. It's just being lost and confused and being an outsider. So like that's just that's that's always going to be a win in my book. Going back to my other two tracks that I like, I liked um, Lost at 22. Um, just more. Just more chunky, chunky, but just flying riffs. Uh, very catchy and anthemic. More uh, young adult angst, you know, post-pubescent angst, whatever. Uh, being a, a young young man, but then, I mean, drained is another good one. Extra bluesy Black Sabbath. It's like yeah. a love letter to Black Sabbath. Almost sounds like down in places. Um, but, I mean, come on, the lyrics. I look in the mirror and what do I see? A man, man staring back at me who used to be me. I mean, <laughs> so, so it's just, I don't know. I, I approach it differently. It's, it's, one of those, uh, it's one of those albums that the more I sat back and, 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 again, showing my age, I think it's an album, I think it's a band that I visited at the record store back when you could – listen and sample albums at the store and i put it on and blew through the album and because it was so disjointed and fractured i I decided not to uh invest in it and doing the podcast i'm forced to sit down with an album and and get to know it do i like the album absolutely it's a fucking great album is it something that um is going to that's resonated and is going to stay with me? Probably not. Um, but as far as uh, not liking the album, I would never say I don't, that I don't like it. Um, if anything, I've, I've garnered a newfound respect for the band uh, mm-hmm. and their sound. Uh, and it's, again, it's the whole point of doing this podcast is, sure. is, is, is stopping, taking a moment and, and looking at something that somebody uh, is moved by that, that I, to frankly, you know, because of this band's cult following, a lot of people are moved by. So I appreciate everything about it for what it's worth. Um, but I would never say that I don't like the album. But um, but yeah, those are my my three favorite tracks. Nice. And again, I you guys not might hear you might not hear the uh, the certain references that I'm making regarding um, Black Label. But I mean, come on, from from Sabbath to black label, to down, like it's, it's, you wouldn't have one without the other.
wouldn't it wouldn't be something that I would I think I've I've lived with these songs for so long that like You don't hear black label? Bluesy black yeah. Sabbath? Yeah, definitely. Uh, but it's it's just it wouldn't it didn't come to my mind like and that's what's great about getting really? your perspective. No, but that's what's great about getting your perspective on it because like I said, I've known this album for a long time. So it's Oh, the antenna went up immediately. I was like, I hear black label, there's Nile. I hear <laughs> I, there's like that was the first one. I was like, black label, hear it. I hear share, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I think the um the best thing about the best thing about the whole album is that, you know, it's heavy, but it's great songwriting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just riff after riff. There's a verse, chorus, there's a bridge. Good transitions. The, the 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 lyrics, like you say, they tell a story. Yeah. Um but I no, I totally get Aaron's point about the guitars. I think the first album, River Runs Red, is very um um very kind of classic Brooklyn hardcore with the kind of yeah. the riffs. It's a lot faster as well. This one has definitely got the the blues guitar kind of thing. And quite interesting that um, that I think some of the riffs in Soul Searching Sun and then I think off Soul Searching Sun, Joey Z um, um, did a band called Stereo Mud. Yeah. Quite interesting. I think there's, you know, that was about the time when new metal was kicking off. So I think even his guitar playing changed a little bit for that. So... There's a there's a progression with the the influence of his riffs with each album. Yeah, I just want to um, before we before we wrap up and get uh, sort of marks out of ten overall thoughts. I had two tracks down for my favorites. One of them we've already spoke about, but I, I feel like I could listen to this album in a few weeks and then have different favorites like i kind of go back and forth but um unstable is one that i've always liked i think it's super catchy we've talked about that but actually my other favorite track is the first track um seasons um i i just love the guitar tone and the the pacing on that track and it's a real groover there's i love the melodies over the the verse and it kind of does a bit of that dynamic of kind of the lower tones and then occasionally hitting those um those high notes in particular it it sort of introduces you to the the vulnerability on display in the album there's a lyric that says i want to hand you a piece of my delicate heart this is one that was written by caputo as well um and then like the the outro riff is fantastic it's just i don't even really know how to kind of describe it but it there's a sort of breakdown and then you know, just kind of keeps going, chugging to the end of the, the song. I, I I think it's a it's a great way to open the album. That's that's definitely in my top top tracks from this album. All right, 
let's um let's go to let's go to Dom first. Um mark out a ten and your and I guess bit of an explanation for why. And actually, is there anything well, we we've basically just kind of said what we love about the album. Is there anything that you don't think is particularly successful about it at the same time? Uh, no, I feel, I feel, I think at this point for me, no matter how many times I listen to it now, it's, uh, it's kind of engraved in me that for me, this is, it's, it's uh, a 10 out of 10. Oh, snap. (laughs) Shit. There we go. Love it. I mean, I'm not going to say it's my favorite album of all time. I could, I've got a million albums to me that are, are flawless, and I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, you know, pinpoint a part on the album on what could be better or whatever. There, it's you know, it's an opinion, and I'm sure, obviously, listening to them for the first time or all the things we've picked up before, there's a lot in there that other people could want to you know could want something else but and again that's opinion it's also if that's yeah, the case then you you don't listen to them yeah um but for me yeah i i i love this album i think it's it's not the kind of the purest the die hard right river runs red um fans as much as that album is a close Second, that album has the same kind of um, like concept to it, the the topics and everything. But I just love the sound of this album. There's yeah, like we've said before, the the year it was made, it makes sense that it's got that grunge. Uh, it's definitely grunge but it's kind of metal at the same time, like Aaron's saying with the Black Label Society um, sound. And then there's this weird typo negative, new romantics kind of, (laughs) you know, it's it's a one of a kind. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I've been listening to it for so long now that it's just better over time. It's become that. Yeah, that album for me that um, nice. like I, I totally get I think it's a very niche album like it's very Marmite like we've said and, and you know for me I love it so yeah nice yeah totally to- I can't, can't disagree with any of that I actually wanted to just ask you because I realised that we kind of we may have skipped over this unintentionally but what do you guys think about the cover Aaron, I ask you first. I thought we, I thought we covered that at the beginning. No, the album art at the beginning. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, I mean um, Simple Minds track. Don't you? Forget oh, the cover, about the me. cover song. Sorry, sorry. Cover song. Oh, um, <clears throat> well, first of all, I love that song, so that's going to affect my opinion. Um, I, I, I think they win points for covering it because I love that song. Now. Whether something's a uh, what's the musical term? a cover or a uh, uh, a rendition or you know uh, it's I like the song I'm glad they covered it 
I don't know if they they pulled it off because for me, when you cover a song, I want it to sound, I want it to sound like I want to have that aha moment, like ah, they covered a song I like and they brought something new to the table, and it's damn fucking good what they did. I felt like it was average at best as a cover because I a I love the song. They get points for covering it, but as far as their execution of it, I thought it was uh, average at best. It wasn't bad. It wasn't amazing. Dom? Yeah, I, I, I don't want to um, – I, I I'm not going to backtrack on my score or anything, but I'd completely agree with Aaron. I think – It's like, okay, great. They covered it. I like the chorus. I think the chorus feels very – in keeping with the rest of the album, the yes. sound, it feels very Life of Agony. Yeah. But I, I think they have tried to make it their own with the verses are very dark and kind of not like the original. Yeah. But the verses are the part that is a little bit like, yeah, like there's, you know, there's no drums. It's very eerie with a little synth and and you don't know what you don't know what the song is really until the chorus kicks in which might be the point but i think yeah the verses kind of um, take take away from the cover but i mean again for me it's a cover so i'm kind of judging it on the rest of the album but yeah the cover's not not perfect if i had to be quite critical and we should be of this album is that I think that it's the last two tracks are the two weakest tracks on the album. Um, Meaning the cover? Are you including uh, the cover? Yeah. Um, so I'm talking about 11th track is Fears. Yeah, yeah. Probably the weakest of the tracks on the album, I think. Just I would t- agree. Just in terms of feeling just a little bit Dom, you mentioned like, you know, part of why we love this band is this kind of real emotional depth and just honesty, which is beautiful. But Fears just feels a little uninspired and, and a bit paint by numbers in terms of like a an yeah. ang- angsty track. I think there's lyrics like time to grow up and accept responsibility. And all I have are these clothes on my back and this song. And it just, I don't know, it... I don't think it's like a bad song by any means, but you go from that into the into "Don't You Forget About Me," which I think is fine as a, as a as far as a cover goes. But I just think like all of the greatness that's come before those two tracks. It you know, I, I can kind of understand the logic of putting "Don't You Forget About Me" as your final track, but it just felt like those two were like. Eh. Okay, well, they're they're probably if I if I was skipping any tracks on this album, it would be the last two, which is a bit sad that you don't finish the album on a. Let's go. Let's go as far as to say, based on Dom's assessment and and ten out of ten, the 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 cover probably doesn't even need to be there. No, is what we're all saying. You you would still give. I would still give the album the same score because the cover falls flat. It's just kind of there. Yeah, that I I that's exactly my sentiments. Well, I think if it was an original, yeah, you're probably, you know, if there's a bad track on there, yeah, it's not going to be a ten out of ten. But because it's a cover, um, I like all. I like all the songs. Some are obviously, um, Fears is definitely one of those that I like. It. I think it's a good song, but um, 
Uh, I'm not sure what the others would be for me that are obviously not my standout ones, but I still think Fears is a, is a good song. And I think those kind of lyrics are all over the album, really. There's yeah. some better and some more obvious kind of... I mean, you did, you did mention this, Aaron, but there are three songs on the album where, where they, they sing about being 22 and not really knowing what to do with your life. It happened, Lost at 22, yeah. Damned If I Do, and yeah. there's, there's another one. But um, I kind of give up. I'm glad I wasn't the only one that noticed that. <laughs> um, so, Aaron, in summary, mark out a 10. Um, yeah. Uh, I give it an 8 out of 10 because uh, I can tell this. If, if anything, I always knew this band had a cult. I've always known this band has a cult following. I just didn't know about it. Uh, I feel like I got a direct exposure to it through this album and through talking to you guys about it. So it gets almost respect for that. Uh, they've got longevity, great history. And if this is an album that does that, that encapsulates uh, all the history and sound of the band uh, and puts it all together, uh, I can tell and I can appreciate that. So I, I, I give it the 8 out of 10 um, for, for what it's worth. So yeah, 8 out of 10. Nice. So I'm going to meet you guys in the middle and I'm going to give this a, a nine out of 10. Um, I, like I said, you know, this is without a doubt my favorite Life of Agony album. I think despite how dark and depressing it is, it's, it's, it's actually a really fun album to have on and I could listen to it and I have listened to it probably more than any album in the lead up to doing a podcast than I have done before. Like I don't tend to get bored of this and I can sing almost every song uh, without even thinking about it. So it's, you know, for, for those reasons alone, it's like, it's a, it's a classic to me. Um, and I, you know, I think just again, just to reiterate, like what really has always attracted me to the brand, the band has been the vulnerability, the, the, like just the real emotional content. And I think that this, this album is just very, very brutally honest and, and sort of, you know. The word open, I forgot to, yeah, the, I'll echo that. The word, the word I forgot to leave out that help, helps boost the score for me is authentic, authenticity, mm-hmm. which, is, which, is, which is rare these days. Like, like Dom said, there can, be, there can be a lot of canned lyrics and just flat, basic shit out there that, yeah, it sounds heavy, but it's not really doing anything for you. This album is, this is, like you said, when you, it, it's Marmite, but it is 100% authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. It's, it's the real deal. So, um, Life of Agony would follow, uh, the band would follow up this album two years later with Soul Searching Sun that we've talked about as well aaron i would encourage you to kind of listen to both albums either side of ugly and uh kind of see the plot the transition that way which is it's, really interesting. it's funny i listen i listen to the album the, the prior album with uh with our friend john uh john diamond and we're just i'm just over his apartment and this was like a week after you said you wanted to review ugly mm-hmm. he just he, he took we got to his apartment he cranked up a stereo and he's playing the uh the, the, the prior album I was like, oh, shit, you like Life of Agony. I'm supposed to do a, a podcast review of one of their albums. He's like, and he wouldn't shut up about how much he loved that, that, that prior album. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that's, 
you know, it's in in a way, it's kind of it's interesting that that's still still like what they're really known for, and it's it's very much reflected. I've got like the set lists up right now. Um, yeah, I'm curious thinking. what the I'm really curious what the fans think. If it's such a cult following, what do the what do the fans say about this album? So, um, very similar to the reviews, I guess it's kind of divisive, but I think it's mm. still held in very high regard. So I've got a couple of settler statistics. You know, I hope we like to kind of see what effect the album had on the you know continuing success of the band. So the last the last um, show that I found a setlist for was from December of of last year, December twenty first, twenty nineteen, at the Starland Ballroom in Sayerville, Sayerville, yeah, 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 New Jersey. Um, where they played 18 songs. They played Other Side of the River from this uh, album. They played Damned If I Do. Um, and they played Lost at 22. Um, and then of songs played total within the top 10, yeah. uh, you, you have Lost at 22 with 151 and Other Side of the River with 148. That's based on what they can find here i'm, I'm right. sure they played it more but from what what they can track you've got those two being more the sort of set list uh, stalwarts but then in terms of the albums total and again this is dependent just on the information that we can get on setlist fm but oakley is the second most played album in terms of of all time of songs played but mm. it pales with 489 recorded songs but it it pales in comparison to river runs red which is by far the most played album with 1209 plays so uh, like the i guess the legacy of this album the legacy of the band is still very much based on their debut album um which is very interesting and uh but what what um what album were they touring when you guys saw you saw the show together broken broken valley you're both at the same show? Yeah. Nice. And which album was that? It's called, it's called Broken Valley. It was their yes. first first album that they released once they got back together in the early 2000s. I think it's a, a really good album. It's it's up there for me in terms of my sort of next favorites. Um, I'd potentially even say that I preferred it over River Runs Red, but I haven't listened to it in a while. All right, lads. Well, that was... Um, that was a really good one to do. Thank you both again always, for, always good fun. for joining me. Um, yeah. So uh, if you like, is anybody listening? If you like what you're hearing, uh, please remember to uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and wherever you get your pods. All right. Until Cheers. next time, guys. All right. Good stuff. Bye. Bye.